continue moving forward and walking with God in our series here. We want to go to the book of Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter number 3 and consider a few verses. I'm going to begin at verse number 1. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Go to verse number 17, which is the last verse. And it says, Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Just for a little while, stand your ground. Stand your ground. Father, thank you for the time. Thank you for what you've already doing in this space. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. God, we need you to speak to us as only you can. And so we release this time. Teach, Holy Spirit. Preach, Holy Spirit. We're listening to what the voice of God would say to us today. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand your ground. <clears throat> you know, I grew up in a household where, for my own parents' reasons, you know, we didn't do a whole lot of what would be called secular things or what people would call secular things. Um, it's not talking good or bad about it, but that's just how my house was. So we didn't listen to secular music in the house. Um, parents didn't even really go to the movies. They weren't, weren't interested in those types of things. Um, but as a child, you know, growing up, you know, I was interested in those things. <laughs> Y'all quiet. <laughs> you know, and so it, it, as much as, you know, that was the way that it is, you know, the bottom line is your children are going to hear, live in a world, they're going to experience things of the world. and. And, and growing up, you know, I was 15, 16 years old, going on that point, and a group called New Edition was going to be in town. Um, New Edition. You know, the New Edition concert was that, you know, it was in Landover at the old, um, what they used to call it, Landover? <laughs> Capital Center, yeah, Landover. Yeah, and so, you know, a friend of mine, he's a little older, he had, you know, tickets. He said, you did I want to go. You know, it was a Sunday evening. We used to have Sunday, you know, evening service, but this, this concert was at eight o'clock. You know, that was six o'clock. So, 
you know, I said, I'm going to go. Now, my dad, I didn't tell him where I was going, of course, because he wouldn't uh, have let me go. But before I left the house, you know, you know, he said, you know, you need to be back by 10 o'clock. Now, the concert starts at 8 o'clock. <laughs> Come on in here. And, and, and so, you know, 8 o'clock concert, you know, there's no way on God's green earth that I'm going to be back at 10 o'clock. But yeah, I didn't really care too much. So I decided I was going to go to the New Edition concert. And I went and we, you know, Johnny, you know, we all had a good time and all of that. And I had to come home because I knew I was, was coming home, you know, and then it was one o'clock, you know, by the time I'm, I'm getting home, you know, and so <laughs> now it's one o'clock now, you know, but, you know, I'm 16. I'm smelling myself. You know, I, I'm not too worried. See, and so because my mindset was this, you know, as I started growing up, I realized that my dad had me when he was 41 years old. Okay, so he's not old, but by the time I'm 16, he's in mid to upper 50s, you know what I'm saying? And, and uh, he already has six children. I'm the sixth child, and, you know, sometimes you get a little tired. You know, they say children are for the young, right? Because uh, uh, raising children takes a lot of energy, you hear what I'm saying? You got to have the energy to deal with him. And I could even tell at 16 years old that he was struggling a little bit to deal with me because I was pushing limits, you know. Come home this time, I'd be home hours later, do this, you know, I wouldn't do it. And I was pushing the limits. And I walked through the door, and I'm thinking everybody sleep, I just go right into my room down here, Antonio, come here to me. <laughs> See, back in the day, the belt would have just been laying on top of the doorknob, you know, so I knew what was waiting for me. But, you know, it's at 1 o'clock, and he calls me to him, and he had some words for me. And, and it took me this, this moment to realize that my dad was getting tired, and I, I knew that. He let me get away with some things that if he were 10 years younger, he wouldn't have let me get away with. But he was sending a strong message to me that night that I don't care how tired I'm getting. I still have the energy to raise you to be the man that I believe God is calling you to be. And so we got to understand that if we have an assignment to see a generation, to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom to a generation, the generation must understand that we yet have the energy, come on in here somebody, to see them through so they can get to what God has for them. So I'm here to encourage the church that we're going to have to be able to stand our ground. So if we talk out of the book of Joshua, we, we understand from chapter 1 that they were on the brink of going into the promised land to inherit what God had for his people. And so we know that in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10, 11, God told Joshua, let's tell the people to prepare provisions. And we've been talking about that over these last weeks, that we got to prepare our provisions. We talked about spiritual things, but we also talked about some natural things. And some of the resources we talked about was time, energy, and money. Right? We say any assignment that God's give you is going to take time, it's going to take energy, and it's going to take money. And last week we talked about time. And now we got to be able to buy it back. We got to buy back time. See, first we got to realize that it is our time. It's our season to be blessed. Sometimes we say that casually, but I don't, I'm not saying that casually. It's our time and it's our season to move forward. Just like it was the children of Israel's time to move forward, it's our time as a church. And if you're connected to the church, that means it must be your time to move forward. It's your season. Go ahead and accept that it's your season. Your past season might have been a season of circles and maybe not making progress, but that's 
that was God's time for you to do that. But now the time has changed. The season has changed. The clock has turned. It's your season to make progress. But the second thing is that we got to realize that time has to be bought back. See, and time here is opportunities. There's some, there's some things that in your family and some things that in your ministry and in your career that the enemy has a hold of. And he wants to, to grab it. He's already been pulling at your family. He's been pulling at your ministry. He's been pulling at your business. But you're going to have to buy it back. You're going to have to redeem the time. See, we can't be lax with our time and, and wasting a bunch of time. But we got to use our time, our resources to do the kingdom God, of what God would have for us in this time. We got to buy it back. We got to put up some social media time so that we can buy some family time back. We got to stop being on the court 25 days a week. But we got to get there maybe once or twice and buy that time back. Are you hearing? We got to buy it back. Because time is a resource that's so valuable to us. God gives us plenty of time. It's what are we doing with the time that God has given us. But this week we want to talk about energy. Somebody say energy. We want to talk about the energy that it takes to do the will of God. See, I, I went from chapter 1 to chapter 3, but I don't want to skip chapter 2 entirely. Just so that we're keeping up with the book of Joshua. Chapter 2, he sends the spies out to go check out Jericho. And so in Jericho, there was a lady named Rahab, and she was not an Israelite, of course, but she helped the spies because the people were trying to kill them. The Bible says so she hid them on her roof behind some flax. And so what she asked them was, listen, don't kill. Please don't kill me. We know y'all going to come in here and destroy everybody. We got it. But please don't kill me and my family. And the Bible says that the spies cut a deal with her. They made a covenant with her. She let them down out of the city. She told the people, they're gone already. They're gone already. And the people left, and then she let them down on, on a scarlet cord or a scarlet rope and let them out the city so that they could get away. And, she said, and they said to her, listen, we will spare you and your family if you just hang the same scarlet cord over your house. So we'll tell everybody, when you see that scarlet cord, do not destroy that family. Are you following? And so what that tells us is that salvation was not just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. So if you're covered by the blood, you're covered. You don't have to be Jewish to be covered by the blood. You don't have to be black, white, Chinese, whatever. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you are covered. So now we get into chapter number three. And the people are ready to go. And, and the spies have come back and said, Joshua, yep, yep, it's time. We're getting ourselves ready to go. And God says to him, to tell the people, says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant before you, when you see the Ark of the Covenant before you, the major point we want to make here is that people want to see something before they move. Okay. We get to maturity to be able to move in faith where we don't want to see, but we understand people, right? You know what I'm saying? People want to see something before they move. I like what John Piper says, and I talked about it before. He says, seeing glory produces faith, right? When you see glory manifested, then you start believing in it. That's why Jesus did many miracles, right? He did the miracles so that you could see that he is who he says he is, right? Seeing glory produces faith. So he says, when, when the people see the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represents God's divine presence. All right, so the Ark of the Covenant represents God's divine presence. And we see here's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. But it's a very basic thing. Basically, the Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box that was covered in gold. All right? But inside that box, there was a couple of things in that box that were special. There was a, a, a golden urn holding manna or holding bread. 
all right? There was Aaron's staff. Aaron was the high priest. There was his staff that was in that box. And the Ten Commandments, when Moses wrote it on tablets, those tablets were in that box. And on top of the box is, is the mercy seat. All right. It's where the priest went in one time a year to give a sacrifice with the atonement sacrifice for the people. And the Bible said there were two terabims that were facing each other that was on uh, top uncovering the mercy seat. So this is the Ark of the Covenant and it represents God's presence. But we got to understand that Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, Jesus himself is the Ark of of the covenant. See, Jesus said in John 35, I am the bread of life. See, that Moses, what Moses gave with the manna was simply representing Jesus. See, when the people saw God's miraculous provision through manna, that manna really means, what is this? You see what I'm saying? What is this? Sometimes when God makes provisions for you, it's like, what is this? He kept you even when you didn't even understand how he was going to do it. What is this? So that's why when people saw Jesus, they said, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the seas obey him. They couldn't even identify clearly with who he was because what is this that this Jesus would come? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's that bread that was in, quote unquote, that box. Aaron's staff was in there, or Aaron's, Aaron's rod, but Jesus said in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, Jesus is the perfect high priest. In other words, there's only one God and one mediator between God and man. And who is that? That's Jesus. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is the only one that can stand between man and God. So just like Aaron was the high priest, it represents that Jesus really is our high priest. The tablets in there that the, the law was written on. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that you and I might have the right to, to righteousness, that so we could exchange our unrighteousness for his righteousness. See, Jesus was the only sinless one. He's the only one who could live up to all the morality of the Father. And so Jesus is our morality. He is our righteousness. And finally, there's the mercy seat. Hebrews 10 and 14 says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So the, in, in the Old Testament, every year they had to go make a sacrifice. But how many know that Jesus made a sacrifice for once and one time only? And for one time only, everybody who was being called to God has been sanctified forever. So, Pastor Tony, why are you telling us this? He said the people need to see Jesus. See, he didn't say you know, put him in the back. He said, put him in the front. He said, the people need to see Jesus. And we got to understand that people today still need to see Jesus. God's presence gives us the energy that we need. Come on in here. God's presence gives us the energy that we need. Psalm 16 and 11 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. A couple of things we got to take here. If you want to know the right direction, you need God's presence. We need to see Jesus if we need presence. He said, in your presence, you will give me the direction of life. And then he said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And how many realize that the joy of the Lord is our strength? So that we got the energy that we need. We're in his presence. We need his presence. John 12, 32, Jesus said, and if I, if I be lifted up, 
I will draw all men unto myself. Jesus said, in other words, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. In other words, people start moving when Jesus is lifted up. See, we sometimes we wonder why we're not getting any movement in some stuff. It's because Jesus is not being lifted up. So if you want to see some movement in your family, if you want to see some movement in your ministry, if you want to see some movement in your business, you still got to lift up Jesus. People will start moving. People will start responding when Jesus gets lifted up. And so if we want to see the generation to see that the energy that's necessary to get them through is here, we've got to lift up Jesus. We got to talk about Jesus. Come on, somebody. In our conversation, we got to talk about Jesus. We just can't talk about ourselves all the time and talk about our problems, but we got to talk about Jesus. In our worship time, guess what? We got to talk and sing about Jesus. We just can't sing about our blessing. We just can't sing about getting through. All of those things are wonderful, but guess what? We got to start singing about Jesus. We got to exalt the name of Jesus. When we teach, we got to teach some things, but guess what? You got to hear about Jesus. He got to hear about who he is, what he's done, and that he's coming back again. And guess what? The preachers, guess what? Has to still preach about Jesus. We can preach about all kinds of things. We can preach about all kinds of philosophy, but we got to preach about Jesus. People need to see Jesus. When in the Bible, he talks about the lily of the valley. Guess what? That's Jesus. In the Bible, when he talks about bright and morning star, guess what? That's Jesus. In the Bible, when he says there's a wheel in the middle of the wheel, guess what? That is Jesus. When the Bible says the rock of ages that was cleft for me, guess what he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. When the Bible says that there's a spirit of the breaker in the book of Micah, guess what? He's talking about Jesus. When the Bible says that there's a redeemer, guess what? He's talking about Jesus. When the Bible says that there's a lion of Judah, guess what? He's talking about Jesus. When the Bible says he's alpha, guess what? He's talking about Jesus. When the Bible says he's omega, guess what? He's talking about Jesus. And as you can see, when you start talking about Jesus, people start moving. Hands start to lift. Come on in here. Arms start waving. People start responding because when you see Jesus, got to see Jesus. He tells them, when the people see the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus. But he didn't stop there. He says, and the Levites or the priest bearing it. This is important. The church still matters. I don't care what the world tries to say or imply. The church still matters. Because in today's society, the church really represents God's divine presence with us. It does. See, when people are going through, where do they go? They go to what? The church. When grandma's in a hospital, guess what? They call out to somebody they know is saved, right? So that I can pray for them. They go to the church. When your family's breaking up and you don't know what to do, what do people do? They come to the church. Come on here, somebody. 
When money's funny and things are strange, people only want to come to what? The church. They want to come to the church because is God still with me? Is there still a divine? I see creation in heaven and earth. I see all that, but I want to know, is he still operating amongst people on earth? Is, is he still present? Can he still do marvelous things? Is God still here? Come on in here, somebody. Is he still really real? Can God still work miracles? Can God still love me and save me and change me? Why? They look to the church. The church still matters. Matthew 5 and 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of the world. A city that's set on a hill. He didn't say a city that's buried. He said a city that's set on the hill. In other words, the church, we must take our proper place. The church is not an afterthought. The church is not a, a I'll get to it type of situation. The church is not a, a, a we'll get to that when we feel like getting to that. The church belongs up front. Come on in here, somebody. The church has to take its rightful place. <laughs> See, we got to be elevated. See what I'm saying? God is elevating his church. See, because people can't see if a light is hidden under a bushel. In other words, light's going to go when people can actually see it. The city of refuge, the, the city of salvation has to be clearly seen so that people can get to it. We can't be shrinking as Christians in today's world. We got to rise above that. We got to rise above political nonsense and uh, garbage that happens and fake religion and people talking. We got to rise above that and still be the church that God is calling for because we matter. It's the church. <laughs> the Ark of the Covenant, as people, the, the children of Israel usually moved, the Ark of the Covenant was usually in the middle. But God says, not this time. I got to move it to the front. And I'm still hearing God say to us that God is going to elevate us and he's moving us to the front. So you got to have to unbuckle your seatbelt and get ready to make a move because God is moving the church to the front. In a world that is so divisive and so full of hatred and spewing envy and jealousy and, and backbitedness and just cutting people and doing stuff that's just nasty and foolish and abusive, the church has got to get to the front. The presence of God has got to get to the front, not just in the middle of things, but get to the front. Get elevated and don't be embarrassed about being elevated. God is going to elevate you not for you, but he's going to elevate you as a member of the church that you can be light and you can be salt and you can be a city of refuge for those that need to hear about Jesus. People don't move until they see Je Jesus. But the reality that we got to understand is God's presence isn't carried by everyone. God's presence is not carried by everyone. Understand this, beloved. Mankind, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, 2, as he reiterated here, is that mankind was made in the image of God. So understand that, please, and, and, and grab hold of that. We were made in the image of God. So every human being walking, whether you like them or not, whether they profess the name of Jesus or not, is still made in the image of God. And so we have to be respectful of people and how we treat people because they were a person, that's a person that was made in the image of God. Do we understand that? 
But we got to also look at that when, when sin entered the world, the, the relationship that God had with man changed. It was, there was a separation there because that relationship was broken because of sin. You understand? And so therefore that the presence of God was no longer just there with man. So although we were made in his image, his presence wasn't necessarily there. But it's not until Jesus comes back into your life and understand that you receive salvation that the presence of God is with you. So just because you're a person doesn't mean that you have the presence of God with you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's important for us to understand this. See, because people who are not saved don't walk around with the presence of God. So I don't care how big their platform is, whether it's a national platform, social media platform, it don't matter. If they're not walking with God, if they have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, the presence of God is not there. Are you hearing me? It's important. Yes, the image of God is there, but the presence of God may not be there. Second, uh, Timothy 3.5, that's why even in the church, he says, some have the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So even in the church, you can look like something, but there be no power because the presence of God is not there. See, people can build a church, right? If you can say a little something and get people happy, right? And you got a good band and worship team. Come on here, somebody. You can build yourself a church. It doesn't mean that God is there. It doesn't mean his presence is there. And so, yes, you can take advantage of a whole lot of people, but are people really being transformed? Are lives really being changed? Is the presence of God manifesting himself and healing is taking place and deliverance is taking place? The true word of God is being preached and not turned around just so that you can get some money out of people. Everybody's not carrying the presence of God. And see, in the Old Testament, see, only the Levites, only the Levites could carry the Ark of the Covenant. It was a special family that was designed to do that. And even within that special family, only certain of those members who were ordained as priests could actually touch or even cover the inside of the box. So the Levites, the sons of Kohath, they would carry the outside of it, but only the priests could deal with the elements on the inside of it. That's how delicate it was. But here in our text, the Bible says that it wasn't going to be the Levites themselves that were carrying it, but actually the priests themselves were going to be the ones that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Major point here, understand this, is use your energy to bear God's presence. Use your energy to bear God's presence. The word bear here means to accept or to advance or to carry or to hold up. In other words... The priest had to actually pick it up. Like when you go to a funeral and the pallbearers, you know what I'm saying, they have to pick up the casket. The priests were the ones who actually had to pick up the Ark of the Covenant and bear it. They had to carry it. They had to accept the weight of it. I'm going somewhere with this. They had to hold it up. And I'm saying here, we got to use our energy to accomplish the will of God. Why? Because God's presence always raises the standard. God's presence always raises the standard. See, things may operate at this level, but when God shows up, the standard goes up. Come on and hear somebody. See, when you weren't saved, you could do whatever you wanted to do. Sleep wherever you wanted to sleep. Drink whatever you wanted to drink. Say whatever you wanted to say. 
But when you got saved and the presence of God started to abide in you, the standard went up. Oh, come on now. I'm talking to somebody in here. So you just can't sleep where you want to sleep and with whom you want to sleep when you want to sleep with them. Come on and hear somebody. You just can't say whatever you want to say anytime you feel like saying it, any way you feel like saying it, right? The standard goes up. You just can't use your hand to slap. Come on and hear somebody. Somebody, anytime you want to slap somebody, the standard has been raised. When, when God's presence shows up, the standard has been raised. Even in the church, our standards got to be raised when the presence of God starts to show up. The standard of who we are, our standard of excellence and how we do things has got to rise because of the presence of God. Second Samuel chapter 6, by way of example. Not going to take too long to tell the story, but you can read it. David, the Ark of the Covenant was captured, and David had it, and he wanted to take it back to the temple, but it was in somebody's house. So David made a decision, you know what, I'm going to move the Ark of the Covenant to where I want it to go. But I told you that only the priests, only the Levites could carry it. But David decided he wasn't going to do that. He was just going to get anybody to just kind of take, take it. And they had to carry it. They had to bear it. But he said, you know what, we'll just get a cart. No words, I get a flatbed truck, you see what I'm saying? And, I, and I'll have them <laughs> carry it on my flatbed truck. And so the Bible says that these, so there wasn't a truck for real, but there were some animals that had a cart. And the Bible says that they put it on a cart. And, and what the Bible says one of the animals stumbled and began to fall, right? And then the Ark of the Covenant began to fall. And so the Bible said that this one man, he, he put his hand up to try to stop it from falling. That seems like the right thing to do, doesn't it? It seems like the noble thing to do. You won't want that, the presence of God, to just fall like that. So I'm going to touch it and keep it from falling. But the Bible says that God was angry. And the Bible said God killed that man and raised his hand and said, yes, I did it. You see what I'm saying? He killed him. Because he was not supposed to touch it under any circumstances. But let's rewind. David should have never been doing that in the first place. David was out of order. He was not going to the standard that God had set for him. And the man died. We got to understand that God is still holy. Come on and hear somebody. And reverence for his holiness is still required. You can't cheat the system. See, David was trying to cheat the system. He was trying to just get away with where he was trying to go, but do it his way and not God's way. And when we're moving forward in the things of God, we can't cheat the system. We can't do it our way and try to take shortcuts. We got to do it God's way, the way that he has designed for it. And sometimes we think that we don't literally die today, but our blessings often get cut off because we're trying to cheat the system. Stuff that God has for us, we don't realize because we're trying to cheat the system. But we still got to be things in holiness and righteousness as God would have. So Pastor Tony, why are you telling us this? I'm telling you this because you are a priest and you can bear it. See, 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. 
his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm here to let somebody know that you can bear it. Even though the ark may be a little heavy, even though the standards of God may be heavy sometimes, that you can yet bear it. Even though what God was calling for you to do may seem weighty, you got to have it on your shoulders, see? Because people got to see that you can bear it. Don't expect somebody to follow something that you can't even bear your own self. People need to see the presence of God, but they also got to see the presence of God being born by somebody. And it was a special people. It wasn't just anybody, but it was a priesthood. But like the scripture that said, you are a priest. If you are saved, you are a priest. You've been ordained to bear, come on here, the presence of God. You've been ordained to carry it. You've been ordained to advance it. You've been ordained to hold it up so that somebody can see it and go after it. Come on and shout for God to God in here. And the good thing, part about this is, is he's not talking to the older people sometimes. And I'm not excluding older people. I want my young people to understand that you can bear it. At 20 years old, you can bear it. Some, some of these mothers and fathers have been bearing it for a long time. You've seen them bear it. But you got to realize that even when they pass on the glory, the Ark of the Covenant can still be born by a priesthood that's still here. I don't care if you're 18. I don't care if you're 25. I don't care if you're 35. You can bear the presence of God. I got to close. Here it is. He says, when the people see the Ark of the Covenant and the priest bearing it, then they'll go after it. I'm telling you, I'm speaking prophetically to you. If this happens, if we're obedient in this, you're going to see people coming after it. There was almost 600,000 of them at that particular time. And imagine 600,000 people getting ready to be released into their destiny. And I'm speaking to a generation. There's a generation that's getting ready to be released into their destiny. But it's going to take Jesus being lifted, and it's going to take some priests that are able to bear what God has. See, because what he told them was this, that the priests, you got to go out before the people. So in other words, that you got to be a distance. It was about three quarters of a mile ahead of everybody else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when you want to bear it, you got to be a, 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 in a smaller group. Everybody ain't going this way up front. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Everybody's not going to hear the call of God on your life right now, but you've got to get out in front of some things. Yeah, the people are going to come behind you, but you got to be willing to stand with only a small group of people. But the encouragement though, is there wasn't just one priest, but there was a few priests. If you'll stand for God in this season, you won't be standing by yourself. You don't got to feel like Elijah that there's nobody else but you. You'll find that there's somebody else that's going to bear that with you, that you're not trying to carry this weight alone, but you got a brother, you got a sister in the body of Christ that's going to stand with you and encourage with you and pray with you and see that you stand there and you don't sink. <laughs> Come on in here, somebody. He told them, listen, you got to go out ahead and the people got to keep a distance because they don't know which way to go because they haven't been this way before. In other words, they got to see where to go. But to the, to the priest, he said, you're going to have to stand in the Jordan. He said, you got to place your foot in the water. And by faith, the water's not moved yet, but by faith, you got to step in it and believe that God's going to move the water. And that's exactly what he did. If you move 
move in faith and bear this thing, you'll see that God will work some miracles on your behalf and it'll put you in a place where you could stand. Now watch. They were standing and they were holding it and they stood in the water. The Bible says that the waters were stopped. And so the 600,000 or so people were going to begin to come below them, right? And they were going to walk on dry land. See, they were going to walk on dry land. Now, it mattered if water is here and now all of a sudden water is removed. How did that land get dry? I want you to understand something. As the priests stood there, the Bible said that they stood on firm ground in chapter 17. In other words, they weren't sinking. It wasn't like sand. But the realization is this, that when you study it, that they were rocks on the bottom of the Jordan. And so I'm here to tell somebody there's a rock that's going to hold you up. And his name is Jesus. He's the rock that's higher than I. He's a firm foundation. So if you decide to make a stand, a whole generation is going to come forth. But you got to stand your ground. I don't care how heavy it gets. Use the energy that God has given you with his presence to stand your ground. Your family's got to come through those waters. You better stand Stand your ground. Your business has got to come through that water. You better stand your ground. Your ministry has got to come through that water. You better stand your ground. The person you're mentoring has got to come through those waters. You got to stand your ground. This church has got to see a generation come back and through these waters. It may take years, but we got to stand our ground. When the enemy would try to come in like a flood, would raise up a standard against him. We ain't going nowhere, baby. We're going to stand our ground. Come out of high water. We're going to stand our ground. And we're not going to slip. But we got a firm foundation. That rock is Jesus. Jesus is holding us up. We're standing firm on his word. We're standing firm in prayer. We're standing firm on the prophetic utterance of our God. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. A generation depends on it, that we got to stand our ground. And I know it's going to be heavy for some, but stand your ground. Your brothers and sisters that have gone before you, some of our seasoned saints, they're still holding it. But they're going to encourage you as you walk in this thing to stand your ground because a generation will change. A generation will change when there's people that are holding up Jesus' name and standing their ground. Come on, give God praise. Give him honor. Give him glory. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I just hear in my spirit, God is just saying that just, some of us in here just have to start lifting up the name of Jesus. In every area of your life, just lift up the name of Jesus. If you're going through in your family, just lift up the name of Jesus. If you're going through in your finances, just begin to speak well of Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember the sacrifice. Remember the power to get up out of the grave. Remember what he took on the cross. Just remember, just lift up Jesus. Demons will flee when you lift up Jesus. The enemy gets nervous when you lift up Jesus. The enemy will go seven ways when you lift up Jesus. 
if you lift him up, if you glorify him, if you magnify him, he'll inhabit your praise and he'll settle down. His presence will be there in your life. I know who I'm talking to, but God is just saying, ramp up your praise in Jesus. Just begin to exalt Jesus. Open up your word and just say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Jesus, I know that's you, the living word. I thank you for being in my life. I thank you for being present. Jesus, Jesus. Standing firm, stand your ground, stand your ground, stand your ground. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and we bless you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you're doing. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for this word, God, that you're taking us from where we are to where you're designed for us to be, oh God, one step at a time. God, we're walking with you, God. But help us to stand our ground, God. Help us as you give us energy out of your presence, oh God. As we spend time with you, as we lift up the name of Jesus, God, that you inhabit our praise and you'll be real and manifest in our lives, oh God. And we will stand our ground, God. We want to be able to bear what you've called for us to bear in this season because there's a generation that's coming, oh God, that needs to be able to pass through the joy. Jordan, oh God, but we've got to be in our place standing firm, oh God, knowing as an example that people can see that you are real. And I release to my brothers and sisters, oh God, the energy that they need right now in the name of Jesus to stand up in their homes, God, to stand up in their communities, oh God, to stand up in their church and in their ministry, oh God, right now in Jesus' name. And we receive what we need from you, God. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus. And we bless you, we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As always, the most important part of the service, and then we have one quick thing to do afterwards, but is there somebody here that does not know Jesus?